His amazing grace for sure. And our children can be dismissed to Children's Church if they'd like to go now. Have a great time, kids. <clears throat> we ended up in uh, the end of Romans 1 last week, and I just invite your attention back there. As we uh, prepare to look at the text again, I just uh, will remind us of something that I, I think we all would agree with, that judgment should be fair. A judgment should be according to truth. And if you have um, a couple of football teams taking the field and the referees all show up in your opponent's colors, you, you know you're in trouble. It's, or maybe you're watching a, a something like American Idol and the instead of having Simon Cruel as one of the judges, you have um, the family and friends of someone. They're going to be the judges. And you might think, I wonder how this is going to go. How fair is this going to be? So it could be lopsided judgment one way or another against or for. And, um, well, except in those cases where it's in our favor, we usually think it's not fair. Um, but we, we have the sense that judgment should be fair. If, if there are uh, judges who are, who are not acting according to the law, not rendering fair judgments, then we sense there's something wrong with that. We expect judges to do the right thing. Uh, we, we want officials to be impartial and to judge according to what the real situation is or ideally according to truth. Last week we ended uh, Romans 1 with, uh, let's pick up that passage at verse 28. A reminder of how bad things are when people turn their back on God. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And here's, here's a list of some examples of those things. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That's kind of a, a long list, and by no means is it meant to be exhaustive of all the different kinds of sins, but uh, certainly a wide variety of things, and you probably could identify with that list in some point or another, and you might say, well, that didn't apply to me here, but this other one might. And we, we look at this kind of list, and we, 
we think how, how terrible and we compare this to our society in which we live and we contemplate the, the level of depravity to which we have sunk and the, the depths of degradation and the, the blatant sin that is out there that's not only committed but accepted and condoned and, and in some cases encouraged and our moral sensitivities are awakened. We are at times alarmed and uh, frustrated and perhaps even angry. But now we come to chapter two, verse one. And right as Paul has surfaced those kinds of feelings among us of condemnation and judgment he then says in chapter 2 verse 1 but you are inexcusable O man whoever you are who judge for in whatever you judge another you condemn yourself for you who judge practice the same things it's a Nathan and David kind of a moment that, that Paul is bringing out here. You remember the story of King David when he sinned against Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah the Hittite killed and so forth? And one day, Nathan the prophet comes to David and says, let me tell you a story. There was a, a rich man who had everything that he needed, all kinds of herds and flocks and so forth. And in the same town, there was another man who, who had very little. In fact, he only had one little lamb. And that lamb was so precious to the family, it became like a household pet for the family. It wasn't just something, an animal out in the field. It was a, it was a pet. And yet the, the rich man had a, a guy come visit him from a far town. Instead of taking from all the surplus of all the flocks he had, he took this other man's one little ewe lamb and killed it to make a meal for his friend and David says that, that's not right that guy ought to be put to death and, and then made to repay four times what he took and, and Nathan says David you are the man And God wants to ask you, David, why have you despised my word? And this is the kind of thing that, that Paul is writing here. We read this kind of a list and the sins that we looked at last week, and we think, how, how bad, how terrible of people to live like this, and how, how wicked people are in our society. And God wants us to say, to look at ourselves and say, wait a minute, what about you? I'm not talking about sinners out there. What about you? You are the You are the man. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. So we know that judgment ought to be according to truth. And we we approach man's judgment here, we find that there are, are a couple of main problems here first of all in man's judgment he looks at the wrong person and secondly he looks at the wrong problem so what we've been talking about so far is looking at the wrong person 
Whoever you are who judge, for whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. Or you who judge practice the same things. So much easier to see the wrong in others, isn't it? It's, it's like we have really good vision to see the, the evil that's in other people, but there's a, maybe there's a log in our own eye or something, but it's hard to see. We have, we're blindsided to some of our own faults. We, we can't see those quite so well. One person put it this way in a poem. I, I dreamed death came the other night and heaven's gates swung wide. With kindly grace an angel ushered me inside. And there, to my astonishment, stood folks I'd known on earth. Some I'd judged unfit or of little worth. Indignant words rose to my lips but never were set free for every face showed stunned surprise no one expected me <laughs> it's easy to see the faults in others and wonder about them how are they ever going to make it and uh, we have blind spots concerning our own selves and as a result man's Judgment is inexcusable and self-condemning. So what the Paul is saying here. First of all, it's, it's inexcusable. See how the verse begins, therefore, you are inexcusable. Uh, therefore, we know that word points back to something in context. The question is, what is it pointing back to? How far back do we go? Well, well first of all, I think we ought to go to the, the beginning of this section, this passage, which starts in verse 18. So if we go back there, verse 18 starts this whole section. So let's see what he says there. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Remember that says all ungodliness, not just the ungodliness you see in someone else, unrighteousness, but all of it. All of it. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is evident in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse because God has displayed himself and made his, himself known through his creation. The heavens declare the glory of God and so forth. They're without excuse and so that in, is being picked up again on, in chapter two, verse one. Therefore, you are without excuse. You are inexcusable. This is not just talking about those other heathen but you also are without excuse. You should know the power of God and who he is and be living in accordance with that. But it also, uh, the therefore, points back to the last verse mentioned in the previous passage, verse 32, I believe. Notice there it says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same but also approve of those who practice them 
Now compare that with verse 1. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. In verse 32, they approved of those things and did them. In chapter 2, verse 1, they judged those things but still did them. And whether you approve and do them or judge and do them, the, what co combines them here is the doing of them, the still practicing them. So you are inexcusable, and this is self-condemning, for he says, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. It's self-condemning, the very act of judging another. Here's why that is, I believe, for um, the religious person, the moral person who, whose sensitivities are awakened and they're, they're judging evil in others, that's a proof in itself that you know right from wrong. You think about that. Whenever you are passing judgment on another, one of the things that is going on is you are affirming in yourself that you have a sense of of moral clarity that you can see this is right, this is wrong. Now by doing that, what you're saying about yourself is I have in myself, because it's given by God, we'll see later on in Romans 2, I have this God-given ability to see right from wrong, therefore I know right from wrong. It's not like I'm sinning and just have no idea, oh, I didn't know that was a sin. That's not true of any of us. We know on the inside that is. So the very fact that we can see wrong in others is proof in ourselves that we are able to judge right from wrong. And that, so that becomes self-condemning, self-condemning proof within ourselves. Also, we are self-condemned not only because we see those things, but it's worse even in seeing them, we still do them. Notice that the word um, practice is used uh, five times in four verses here. Uh, verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge another for and whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. Verse 2, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Verse 3, and do you think this, O man, that you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you shall escape the judgment of God? Practice, pra the word prasso used four times, or five times actually in a row there. The idea of, of not kind of falling into sin, not uh, doing it without even thinking, but of practicing sin, of walking in sin. Ongoing guilt. So first of all, man's judgment looks at the, the wrong person and becomes inexcusable and self-condemning. But secondly, man, man in his judgment looks at the wrong problem. When a sin is committed, when something horrendous happens, 
we ask, who did it? Who, who's the, the guilty person? And we, we look around to see who should be charged with this? That's kind of a natural instinct. Who, who is guilty? But the question is not who is guilty or who has sinned because everyone has sinned and all are guilty before God. So it's not a question of who's guilty. Everyone is. The question is deeper than that, actually two, and that is who will escape, first of all? Who will escape? We're all guilty. Who will escape? Verse 3. And do you think this, O man? The you there is emphatic. Do you yourself? Do you really think this, O man? Whoever you are who who judge those practicing such things and doing the same that you will escape the judgment of God? Suppose you, you went to a traffic court for, for speeding or something. And uh, so you're standing in a line behind uh, other people who are there for the same violation and, and the judge is rendering verdicts on these one at a time okay you were uh, 40 miles over the speed limit this is a $200 fine next person you were 40 miles over the speed limit that's a $200 fine and finally they get to your, your case and you're 40 miles over the speed limit and do you really think he's going to say but there's no fine for you you're okay all these other people in front of you were guilty and they were given the, the right uh, judgment, do you think that you are going to escape? Th- that's what Paul is saying here. Look, you know everybody's guilty. You can see it so clearly in others. Do you see it in yourself? And do you think then that you deserve to escape? Somehow you're going to get away with it? Who will escape? And the other question is, who will repent? Verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And that's what God is leading to to repentance. All have sinned. Who will escape? Well, that is answered by who will repent. Now, I want to get back to this idea of repentance later on, looking at it from a little bit different angle. But that is, that's the answer to man's dilemma here. Admitting his, his failure, his bankruptcy morally, and his need of a savior. Man's judgment is wrong because he looks at the wrong person, he looks at the wrong problem. But now I want to turn to God's judgment. What does this passage say about God's judgment? First of all, it is according to truth. Verse 2. <clears throat> 
But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. It is according to truth. Now, just a little translation difference here. Uh, there is a new version that says uh, his judgment rightly falls on those who practice such things. But um, I don't think that's a very good translation. It does get to the idea that is, because God's judgment is according to truth, it will rightly fall on those who deserve it. So I think it gets to the right idea in the long run, but the place of a, of a translation is not to interpret, it's just to tell you what the words are. And so to retain the original meaning, which I think is important here in this case, it is, judgment is kata aletheia, according to truth literally God's judgment is according to truth and that's important I think uh, in the the whole scope of what Paul is saying in this section because we begin the uh, the section with uh, the previous section with truth the emphasis on that remember again back I want to go back to verse 18 of chapter 1 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And again and again, we see the importance of truth being uh, in our lives, guiding our lives, and, and here as we understand what judgment is about. That it is, God's judgment is according to truth, and He is going to safeguard that truth, and He operates by truth. Also, verse 25. What happened as men turned away from God, verse 25 says, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so exchanging truth ends up not only accepting a lie, but worshiping the wrong thing. And certainly that's what happens when men misunderstand that judgment is according to truth. We start accepting a lie that it is, it's according to a man-made standard. That is, that ju God's judgment is according to, well, maybe he'll, he'll take into consideration my hard circumstances. And it's gonna kind of be on its balance scale and well, you know, God, God understands things I've been through and I'm not as bad as my neighbor and perhaps it'll all work out in the end. And we start substituting our idea of what God's judgment is. And so we end up not worshiping him alone, giving him the glory due his name, worshiping him in the beauty of holiness and trembling before him. Instead, we bring God down to our level and say he would judge like I would and I'm, I'm a fair guy. I'd let myself go. But God's judgment is according to truth. Now, there's some good news in that and some bad news. God's judgment is according to truth. Some good news. Have you ever had someone wrongly accuse you? Say, I... I believe you did this or get angry at you for doing something and you didn't this time you actually were innocent God will never falsely accuse you 
He's never going to hold something against you that isn't true about you. He never misunderstands you. He's, he's never going to falsely charge you with anything. Isn't that great? You never have to worry about that. It is going to be according to truth. But it also means there is nothing hidden from his sight. It is according to truth to all the facts, to everything. And the, and the truth is, we are much more guilty than what we even know, much less what other people think of us. When we stand before the brilliance of his searching light, everything will be laid bare and judgment will be according to truth. Go to Psalm 96 with me. This is uh, where we started our worship service today looking at this psalm in, in preparation for worship. But I want to go back to it in connection with uh, this as well. Psalm 96. <clears throat> starting at verse 7 give to the Lord O families of the peoples give to the Lord glory and strength give to the Lord the glory due his name bring an offering and come into his courts O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness tremble before him all the earth Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful in all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. For he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. The judgment of God is, is according to truth. Go to John chapter 5. starting at verse 16 of John 5. <clears throat> <clears throat> For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought him because he had done these things on the Sabbath actually healing someone on the Sabbath, if you could imagine. What a terrible thing. So they sought to kill him. And Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and 
said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you that the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. And whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he does himself. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. Now here's a startling statement. For the Father judges no one. Now just stop there for a moment. Wow. Did you know that God the Father judges no one? We're in the clear. Maybe. But maybe there's someone else who judges. The Father judges no one. He has every right. I mean, we have sinned against holy God, our heavenly Father. We have despised His word and His name, and the Father judges no one. But has committed all judgment to the Son. Why? Verse 25, so that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You see, because ultimately the judge is the glorious one whom everyone will give honor to. And the Father has assigned all judgment to God the Son that everyone will honor him as the Father. Verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into what? Judgment. Shall not come into judgment because you see if you have the son and he's the only one who judges you will not come into judgment. But you have passed already from death to life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Verse 27, and has given him authority to execute judgment. Also, because he is the Son of Man. Now you have both sides of this, the Son of God and the Son of Man. Because He is God, and everyone is to honor Him as God, He is the, the one who judges. And now, because He is the Son of Man, and He knows what it is to live on this world, and no one will ever be able to come before Him on Judgment Day and say, God, if, if you knew what it was like to have to walk on this world... It, Jesus, if you knew what it was for someone to mistreat you, to not be economically advantaged, to have someone blaspheme you, 
Or if you knew Jesus, what it was like to have someone spit on you. And Jesus will say, I took all that for you. Because he is the Son of Man, he will carry out the judgment. And his judgment is according to truth. He was tempted in all ways like we are and was yet without sin. In all ways he was made like his brothers that he might suffer and learn uh, through the obedience of suffering. Obedience through suffering. It is according to truth. Now back to Romans chapter 2. chapter 2 verse 2 but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things verse 3 and do you think this O men you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same that you will escape the judgment of God it is not only according to truth it is inevitable as Psalm 96 closed, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming to judge, the Lord is coming to judge in righteousness and in truth. He is coming, it is inevitable, and he will judge. Do people really think they're going to escape? Do you think this, O oh man, that you will escape? Well, I think people are optimistic. They, they either don't think about coming judgment, or they're kind of optimistic about it. Well, we, I hope I'll escape. And Paul is pointing out how silly that is. If you, if you really think about who God is, you wouldn't think that. God's judgment is, third of all, it's righteous. Verse 32 of chapter 1 uh, says this who knowing the righteous judgment of God and then that is picked up again in verse 5 but in accordance with your hardness and impenitent or unrepentant heart you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God his judgment is righteous because, first of all, God alone is righteous. Now, previously, Paul has been talking about who do you think you are to judge someone else? Because you who judge are practicing the same things, and that's true of all of us. So I don't have a right to stand as a judge over you, or vice versa. But he does have the right, because he alone is the righteous one, and he will judge. And his judgment is according to righteousness. And God's judgment is shown to be righteous all the more because of man's lack of repentance. Verse 5, but in accordance with your hardness. Could translate that because of your hardness. The kata, causal use in, according, in accordance with your hardness 
related to the hardness of your unrepentant heart. The word hardness there is a, a Greek word sclerotes, which you use in modern English a different way, as in arterial sclerosis. That's their word sclerosis, uh, hardening. You know what, arteriosclerosis, those of us who are more, more advanced age are experiencing a little bit of that, and that is a calcification, it's building up process in, the, in your arteries where it, it gets harder and harder and starts kind of closing in that artery and there's less blood flow. And, and that causes some problems, uh, sometimes severe. This, that's the exact word he's using here, sclerotes, your, your hardening of your heart. It's, it's the kind of thing in, in people's lives that, that's like that. That's why I think it's such a great word for this because it builds up over time. People get used to sinning and, and they, they go this far and then that far and then they keep going further and deeper into sin and it gets worse and builds up and closes down and it causes heart problems because of the hardness of your heart. Not only that, there's no change because of the hardness and unrepentant heart. There's no, no change in the heart. It just gets worse till it's finally damning. But in accordance with your hard and unrepentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath for the day of wrath. Treasuring up. It's like uh, in a negative sense, it's storing up, storing up bad things. Uh, like having a credit card that you keep adding things to that credit card. And you're in over your head or in, in debt but you keep adding things onto your credit card. The bill's coming someday, but you keep deferring that bill and keep deferring it, and, but one day it comes due. And that's the idea here with wrath. You keep storing up wrath and more wrath and more wrath, but one day that bill comes due. treasuring up for the day of wrath there is a coming day in which he will come to judge in truth in accordance with your hard and unrepentant heart you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God look also at verse 16 in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. There's a coming day when God will judge the secrets of men by Christ. It is God's judgment is according to truth. It is inevitable. It is righteous. And finally, it is accurate. Despite God's gracious offer of goodness, people choose wrath. 
Look at verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Do you despise the goodness of God? Now the word riches here covers all three words, the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, the riches of all three of those. The word goodness here uh, some translations say kindness. Either way is, is uh, accurate, I think. But God is good. God alone is good. He is abundant in his loving kindness and in his mercies which are renewed every day. God is good to his people. He, his grace abounds to all. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He is good all the time. And though we deserve only wrath every second, God continually pours out goodness and kindness on us. Paul says you're despising the riches of his, his goodness and his kindness. You're despising the the riches of his forbearance. The word forbearance means to hold back. Uh, It was a military term used of a truce. Uh, Picture a battlefield and uh, them calling a cessation to the hostilities, calling a truce. And in this case, God is the one calling the truce. And here we are, we, we deserve to be utterly crushed, annihilated, cast headlong into hell, and God calls a truce and says, I'm not going to do that. It's a temporary truce. He puts it off and puts it off. Do you despise the ongoing goodness and the, the truce that God has called, the, the time he has given you to repent? Do you despise that? Or the long-suffering, also translated patience. Although I like the term long-suffering because it's closer to what the word really says. It's a, a compound word made up of macro. It's the opposite of micro, right? Micro is like a microscope, something really small. This is macrothumea, the, the, the big, the large, instead of the short, the long the long suffering of God. God is not, Thumea has to do with anger or temper. God is not short-tempered, but this says he's the opposite of that. He is long-tempered and puts up with us day after day. And though we deserve only wrath, he calls a truth. truth though we deserve only wrath, he He is long-suffering in the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and patience. Do you despise, Paul asked, to despise, the word means literally to to think down on something, to to think down. Kind of like our idea of looking down on something, but think down. 
means to treat something with disdain to think little of something to to reject something as worthless to think down on it as something not worthy of your consideration is that how you are thinking Paul is asking about God's goodness patience See, here's what happens. People sin and get away with it. So you commit a certain sin and God could zap you in that moment, right? You deserve it. You know what? He could zap me. Didn't happen. Okay. So you go on in your life and you sin again. And wait a minute. No zapping. Okay, I'm all, I'm all right. So you keep going on in your life and God doesn't zap you again or again and you, you're getting away with it. See? You've hidden it from other people, even from yourself, and you think God doesn't see because he hasn't zapped you. And we keep sinning against God. And he says, do you really think you're going to escape but you are storing up, treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath. Don't you know that the non-zapping of God, the goodness of God, his kindness, his forbearance, his calling a truce, his long-suffering serves a purpose of calling you to repentance. Why, why is God doing that? The goal of God's goodness is his repentance. That's, that's the part that's missing. Notice something interesting. Verse 32 says, Who knowing the righteous judgment of God. Knowing the righteous judgment of God. Chapter 2, verse 2. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. But then when we get to verse four, you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. This is what you've missed, that what God is working in this is to bring you to an understanding of your sin and to repent of it. God's purpose and his patience and his goodness is not to excuse sin, but to stimulate repentance. People wrongly assume that God's goodness leads to some kind of immunity or forgetfulness in God and no judgment. But what God is telling us here is that his goodness leads not to ignoring sin, but to facing sin. And who is it that needs to repent? It's you and me. And that's what Paul is bringing out as he writes to these Romans. He ends chapter one with how bad it is out there in the world 
those pagans, those heathen, how they sin and do these terrible things. And let me tell you who needs to repent. You do. We do. Because we have taken God's grace for granted. I have a, a final song today. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Before the throne of God above. The only reason, only way that we, any of us, can stand before God is <clears throat> because of what Christ has done. As, as Dave sang for us earlier, his grace still amazes me. The only place that we can stand is before the throne of God above by, based on the cross of Christ we all stand guilty before him don't we I mean if we know our own hearts and we're honest with ourselves there may be something that you need to repent of specifically today perhaps God has spoken to your heart about an area in your life that you know yeah I've been doing that and taking for granted God's forgiveness and grace he doesn't want you to ignore sin. He's not uh, giving you time so you can ignore it, but giving you time so you can deal with it. Whatever that area might be in your life that God wants you to deal with, I implore you today, do that. And let's all stand together and sing with, with grace in our hearts to the Lord how grateful we are before his throne.